Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Matt D'Elia is Confused. My guest this week is a man named Michael Foster. Michael is an environmental activist and a rather famous one, or if you think of it a certain way, perhaps infamous, but he um, and a group of four others call themselves the Valve Turners, and one day they shut off um, the Keystone XL pipeline at five different points uh, within the United States, and they got into a shitload of trouble for that. Though it was um, very peaceful and nonviolent, um, the the uh, the companies involved and clearly the government did not side with him because Michael went to jail for what he did. And in fact, the, we talk about this, but the prosecutor in his case lumped him in with uh, people like Ted Kaczynski, who is obviously the Unabomber, and even the 9-11 terrorists. So some people obviously think of him along the lines of a terrorist, which is really crazy to me. Um, but uh, and clearly, obviously, very confusing. And we, Michael and I talk about this and, and why he would be lumped in with such people like that, uh, even though his message is obviously um, very important and his, his – or his cause, rather, is very important. And um, his means of implementing it uh, were, again, very peaceful. And, and so it's um, – He's a really interesting guy who with really important things to say. Uh, and whether you think of him uh, as I do, as a hero, or as uh, the government does, as a villain uh, and someone worth putting in jail, um, you can decide for yourself. But that's kind of what this conversation was all about. I really appreciate Michael's time. He's a great guy, and uh, he, he's got really interesting things to say. And I really um, enjoyed having our conversation. So here is my conversation with environmental activist and valve turner, Michael Foster. Okay. Um, so I am just your next door neighbor who, uh, was a mental health counselor for about 20 years and then started working to, uh, organize young people planting trees, uh, as part of a climate justice project, uh, that started in Germany and as part of the UN tree planting program and, um, and was concerned about climate and followed the science from actually <laughs> actually 1970-something mm. and, um, and then realized uh, along the way that we had passed the time when we were supposed to actually be not polluting mm -hmm. and uh, started uh, acting like it. So uh, I'm a co-founder of 350 Seattle, uh, founder of Seattle uh, Plant for the Planet and Climate Change for Families, and uh, giving free talks, volunteering all my time, uh, ended my therapy practice so that I could volunteer all the time, mm. and 
then uh, joined a group of uh, four folks who shut off pipelines coming into the U.S. from Canada uh, one day in 2016, about a month before the, the – there was an election, some presidential thing. Mm. Uh, can't remember who the candidates were, but it didn't matter mm. who won. Mm-hmm. Because the emergency that we're facing was never going to be dealt with by any presidential candidate. Mm-hmm. And I can talk more about that later. So I uh, shut down all the tar sands oil coming into the U.S. from Canada uh, in October 2016 and uh, then waited for arrest went to trial, uh, spoke for a year about what we had done, and then went to trial and was convicted and uh, sentenced on criminal mischief, uh, conspiracy to commit criminal mischief, uh, trespass, and was found not guilty of reckless endangerment, Mm. uh, which I found a really uh, big deal since the prosecutor in my trial actually compared me to the 9-11 hijackers, the Unabomber, and said that if the jury let me off, Sharia law was coming to North Dakota. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> That's one, that's one uh, way to do it. Not guilty of reckless endangerment. That was a big win for me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and so when – when how long were you in jail and when how long have you been out? Right. Uh, well, I, I, the maximum they could have sentenced me up to 21 years. I was sentenced to one year. Mm. I did six months and got parole. I'm a you know 55 year old white male with no criminal record, a sure. mental health counselor. Right. Uh, I was not a threat to public safety. Right. So. I, uh, I've yeah. seen I, I've seen some video of you uh, at the scene turning the valve, and I was so, I was struck with um, a few things. But one of the things I was particularly struck with is your be, the way you are after you've done it. I mean, there's obviously the the, the happiness uh, of, of all of you and the, and the accomplishment of what you've done and, and knowing that you've done it successfully. But there's also this this piece that I was struck with, which is that you know what's coming. You know you will be arrested, and you know yeah. the, all of those things. So you're just waiting, and, and it's very striking to me how even in the even in the body language of the of the office of the arresting officers, the, it's so clear that there's some kind of understanding from you from all of you that, that you knew this was coming and that psychology is interesting to me. So you, you obviously not only were prepared to, to be arrested, but you waited and knew it was coming. So that, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Can, can you talk to me that a little, was, a little bit about that? That was a huge part of the action. We right. weren't just shutting off pipelines. We were going to trial to argue that what we had done was not only, uh, you know, should we be found not guilty? Mm-hmm. What we did was necessary to prevent a an insanely greater harm mm-hmm. to the community. Right, and that's an age old thing in our criminal justice system. If you 
break into a burning building to rescue a, mm. a child, are you guilty of trespass and breaking and entering and burglary and and kidnapping? Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. Well, what if there's a billion babies in that house? Right. Right. So not only were we we were uh, shutting off the oil, which, quite frankly, let's just be honest, it's necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, we have no plan to shut off the oil. Mm-hmm. We have no plan to stop using the oil. We are using more and building stuff that requires oil, more oil every day, every year. Mm-hmm. I was near Boeing, and Boeing is cranking out airliners as fast as you can imagine, Mm -hmm. uh, over 800 a year. Those things use a heck of a lot of jet fuel. Every new one means we need more oil than we had yesterday. Mm -hmm. So we have no plan to stop any of that, and we have to. We needed to stop 20 years ago. So, And I can give you some numbers and some math on that. Um, Sure, yeah. I would love to. Um, you know, 20% cuts per year, <laughs> uh, and 1 trillion new trees, that's one new tree for every three trees alive on earth today. Mm-hmm. If you do both of those things starting today, we could see a climate recovery begin over the latter half of this century and sometime next century, possibly it is physically possible. This is just a simple chemical experiment. Mm-hmm. Physically possible that we could see climate recovery and things could be as cool as they were in the 80s, 1980s, or better uh, next century. Mm. If we do not or if we delay, that number 20% screams out of reach that 1 trillion trees skyrockets out of reach. You you just can't get the CO2 out of the air fast enough mm. because we are adding more each year and the number increases and the way it lingers in the atmosphere for 30 years, 50 years and for centuries means that you do pass a moment where you just you can't get it all out of the sky. Right. You just can't. The earth system doesn't allow you to do that. So we're at that moment um, because five years ago when I started teaching this in schools as a volunteer, that number was 6%. Mm. So we reached the moment, you know, while I was doing all this volunteer work and trying to help kids, you know, raise their voices because their voices matter most. Mm -hmm. They have the most at stake and we owe them and we are genetically wired to protect young versions of us. So uh, that's when we hit this inflection point and we go from, you know, 4% reductions, 6% reductions, and suddenly we're at 20% reductions necessary to get back to 350 parts per million CO2 in the atmosphere. Like not just in a century, but that's going to be harder to do ever each, each year we delay starting. So anyway, that was all to say it was necessary in an emergency to stop the oil by any means necessary. Mm. Protests and parades are great, but we can't do that if we keep driving to the protests. All the the Fox News people are right. 
Right. If we're flying around the world to stop pollution, we're missing something. Right, right, right. Yeah, there is a hypocrisy yeah. in, in that for sure. So, so I wanted to be part of something that would actually stop the oil and that psychology you saw, the joy, the, the bliss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine all the guilt you ever felt, all mm-hmm. the bad thoughts you ever had about humans every time you saw a starving polar bear or whatever, mm-hmm. or a clear cut, you know, on a hillside, mm-hmm. all of that for a lifetime. And then one day you get the chance to just turn the valve yeah. and stop 590,000 barrels of poisonous tar sands, bitumen oil flowing into the U.S. You know, that's that was just my pipeline. That was 590,000 on the Keystone One. Oh, I was going to ask. Whole, wow, that's incredible. That's so much oil. The five five pipelines were shut down that day. It was 2.2 million barrels of oil stopped moving, at least in theory. Right. And and that's 15 percent of daily U.S. consumption. Wow. So it was incredible. It was (laughs) wonderful. And then to be able to go and talk about it and tell people this is what we have to do. Right. And have people look at me and say, this guy means it. Right. Right. This is not academic. Yeah, I mean, it's the ultimate leading leading by example. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. No, no. This has nothing to do with political. This is a burning building. Right. What do you do when you walk past a burning building? Do you talk about it? Do you create a political action committee? Mm. No. Right. Yeah, you run in the building. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I, I, I would like to know a little bit about – you talked about your previous career and the sort of shift into activism. You – I feel like a lot of people, myself included, I mean, I'm not exempt from this at all, are keenly aware of of the climate crisis and it's how rapidly it's worsening and how much the window of time is closing for us to do anything that matters. However, I think a lot of us, you excluded, of course, don't A, know what to do or B, don't have the will to implement it. And, and you, you, you hit on something earlier that I definitely wanted to talk to you about. You know, you said we're genetically wired to protect future generations. And I've always thought of climate, the climate crisis as a sort of evidence of some kind of evolutionary blind spot, because, you know, when we have children, we protect them with all of our financial and, and, and physical strength. And when we have nephews and nieces and grandchildren, we do the same. This is yeah. the same thing, except just a, from a different source. You know, it's not a violent attacker on the street trying to beat someone you love up, but it is an actual, not existential threat, an actual physical threat. And I'm, and I'm curious right. as to what your take is on why people have such a hard time putting that in the same category as the kind of genetic hardwiring that you're talking about? The person uh, who did it for me was uh, in an interview in 19, uh, well, no, it was 2009 or 2012. I can't remember. And I think it was 2009 and uh, said, how do we, 
uh, deal with this if everything we do to privilege our children is stealing their future. Right. And that question uh, stuck with me. I did not want to let go of that question. And raising kids at the time, it really uh, just kind of split my world into, into, I had this kind of like bifocal uh, glasses, bifocal lens on everything I was doing and Mm. seeing. Um, And it eventually led to, I think, a divorce, mm. uh, the idea that I could not enjoy a vacation in Hawaii mm. again. Mm-hmm. That was it. Right. I've done that. I've been there. I got the snapshots of the kids mm. swimming on the coral reef. I knew that coral reef mm. was dying because we were flying to Hawaii. Right. I could, I could not unknow that. Mm-hmm. And when it came time to plan another vacation, I was like, no, no, I can't. Right. And those kinds of splits in my vision, uh, I guess not splits even, it was integrating right. the two worlds, right? The physical uh, knowledge of the chemical experiment we've run, the geoengineering that we've done to our planet mm-hmm. that our kids will pay for dearly. Right. And and also realizing that, you know, everybody's walking around me uh, getting these cheap flights to Hawaii. Mm. You know, if you've got a couple of hundred bucks to spare in a little time, get away. Mm-hmm. You know, it's in the margin of every screen. If you've ever bought an airplane ticket, you're going to get an ad from Expedia right. or Travelocity or whatever. Right. We're sold this idea that travel is the thing. Mm hmm a meaningful, successful life. Right. But, but what is that really? If you looked at it like hive behavior, Yeah. you know, we're these creatures buzzing around this hive and then, you know, millions of us are just zipping off around the planet for no fucking reason. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so we can have dinner in some exotic cafe. Yeah. Uh, and then zip home a few thousand miles. I don't know. It makes no sense. Anyway, yeah, yeah. I'm not even sure where we started with that. But no, yeah, that, um, yeah. I mean, the... my transition into uh, into seeing the two worlds together was very gradual. I did start learning about this uh, in the 70s when I was a high school freshman, mm-hmm. and the debate topic for the year was the energy crisis, and it was about energy independence, and you had to be able to argue for it or against it Mm. in every debate competition based on the coin toss. So I learned all about the energy independence issue, which basically means drill more oil where you live. Mm. And I was living in Houston, Texas, Mm. and that's where I grew up, and the Exxon scientist who uh, said that we had run this experiment and that we had to stop in a few years uh, was considered a nut job, a crank Mm. by all the kids in my high school uh, who were on the debate team. But that's when I learned about it. Yeah. And, uh, and then realized that it was real about 10 years later and have been living my life as this kind of green consumer ever since. 
right. and did the counseling thing and then tried to deal with it in counseling even. I, mm. I brought up carbon counseling with my clients, you know, yeah. I just added this little thing so that instead of a biopsychosocial assessment, I was doing a an eco-biopsychosocial right. assessment. And uh, tried to tried to integrate this into every part of my life, which is what I think we all have to do. Right. We all have to do that. And now I'm simply, I don't know, trying to trying to live on as little as possible. Sure. Yeah. A few hundred bucks a month because I know that every dollar I earn, every dollar I spend, is fueling the beast that is going to destroy everything I love. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned travel and flying around the world. It it makes me think of this sort of um, the the obstacle that big business is not even just in, in, in the oil business or, I mean, we talk about travel. That's an easy example because as you said, it's sold to us as this way to live, this optimal way to live, to succeed at life. One travels to, to, to do life, right. You travel. And that isn't Mm -hmm. this innate idea uh, among and in the human brain that's given to us and no. and and yeah. we are sort of falling victim one might say to this idea that you're supposed to travel you know but right. you know there's so many aspects of not obviously just travel but so many parts of big of industry that are horrendous for the environment i mean uh you you could make the laundry list of of them and i think it's such i think for some people it's just so overwhelming that and they think well i'm just one person and it is easy to, to, to dismiss these things that way but it's interesting to hear you talk about i think a lot of people think of climate change as, as erupting into this issue around the time of an inconvenient truth the al gore uh, documentary Yes. But this yes. is something that's been going on much, much longer than that. And still so little has been accomplished in by way of making a dent in, in its prog in its well, I would say not progress, lack of progress. But you know, the the the, the environment is not getting a break. It's only getting worse as, as things move forward. And I find it it's so disheartening and almost I think odd to know how long it's been possible to know what we're doing to the world and how little we've all, for the most part, actually done to do anything about it. You know, it's almost, and then, and then you get into the politicization of it and you talk about some people that don't even believe it exists, but just putting them aside for a moment, the science is readily available to anyone ever anywhere whether you're on a computer or in conversation it's so easy to know what we're doing to the environment and yet and yet no one is doing anything and again it gets to that blind spot type of thing and in your experience would you say that there's a a way to reach people about this kind of issue short of the kind of activism that the, the the lengths to which you went, which is actually shutting off the Keystone Pipeline, would you say that there's any means of yes. which to com- actually get through to people about this kind of thing? Yes. Okay. Yes. And number one, the climate groups are doing it all wrong. 
Right, okay. So stop listening to 350. Stop listening to Sierra Club mm. because they will fuck you over and mm. they will kill this planet. Mm. Okay? Can Interesting. I be clear about that? Yes, please. Right? Yeah, I love that. Do you yeah. know how I really feel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell us how you really feel. Um, yeah. They are selling us this idea that you have to be political, you have to sign this petition, mm. uh, you have to donate money. And that individual action doesn't add up. And I went Asperger's. I went totally ballistic at a Bill McKibben talk, and I lost a good friend um, uh, because I, I blurted out and could not control myself. This was not a strategy. This was me actually. I lost control of my body right. and was screaming until my voice broke. Wow. Because individual action is collective action. Right. Um, There is no way to stop those airliners Mm -hmm. as long as we keep buying tickets. Right. Boeing's got five years' worth of orders. That's based on projections of people buying tickets. That's all that is. If you stop buying those tickets, those orders disappear. Right. So individual action is collective action, number one. And we don't, we don't get to do one without the other. Um, and the large groups are going to focus solely on getting you out in the streets and that that is the only way to make a difference. Um, it's not. You have to do both. So uh, demand of yourself and demand of your leadership, mm-hmm. demand of your, your boss at work, uh, as well as your political leaders, a climate plan and cut emissions 20% a year. Can you do that? Can you cut your personal emissions, professional emissions, and politically get involved and help cut emissions 20% this year? Um, and I'm not going to tell you what the you know most effective way to do that is. Obviously, I risked my freedom right. <laughs> on a plan that uh, may or may not have accomplished that. Right. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, but I think we have to try everything. I think the test is, you know, if this succeeds, uh, how will it make a difference? Right. Right. Um, so I know a lot of political leaders uh, who are pushing a Green New Deal mm-hmm. um, and talking about bullet trains and things like that, and I don't think they're going to make a difference. Interesting. I think they're going res- to respond to market forces. I think they're going to do things in a political time frame that right. is 20, 30, 40 years from now, and we won't survive that. It'll just so be too late by push- then. Yeah, push the Green New Deal people to get real and to acknowledge the science. Greta Thunberg, uh, who is the 16-year-old girl uh, about to land on the East Coast on a boat. She's been traveling for a week, week and a half now to get to the United Nations climate talks in September. Wow. And she's going to be landing here in a few days um, on a solar-powered yacht. That she's been crewing with like six people to get herself because she will not fly. Right. Listen to any of her talks. Go, 
YouTube mm-hmm. and uh, you'll see somebody speaking the truth mm. who has an international audience now. She does not tell you what the solution is. She does not tell you what the policy is. She'll tell you what isn't. Right. And she holds herself and other people accountable. And that's all we can do right now. Hold right. ourselves accountable, hold our leadership accountable, and say, you know, this is not enough. And then, and then push hard to figure out the way to live that our kids can live with. I usually ask myself, you know, five years from now, is what I'm going to be, is what I'm doing today going to be acceptable or am I going to feel horrible about it mm. five years from now? Um, and if that means going vegan or that means not owning a car or uh, giving up my electric car and getting an electric bicycle, mm. um, living on a few hundred dollars a month, whatever it is that I do. How is that going to look to me in the year 2025? Right. When the poop will have hit the fan. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even the even the Democrats for Bernie are going to be freaked out. Right. Yeah. And and feeling like chumps in 2025 because we're going to be dealing with real crises: uh, the immigration crisis, uh, the wildfires, droughts food security, all kinds of things. Whew. Yeah. And nobody's and nobody's going to believe that it's about Democrats and Republicans anymore. Right. It'll be beyond that. Nobody's yeah. nobody's going to fall for that. Um, <clears throat> oh, by the way, President Obama, the climate president, mm-hmm. laid more pipeline than any other president in U.S. history. Wow. I did not know that. Bingo. Wow. So, yeah, he rejected the Keystone XL. I knew that. After after thousands of people protested for six years, he rejected it. Right. And the big groups drew a lot of donations and a lot of attention and organized a lot of activity. And he laid more pipeline and he deregulated the industry. Really? Gosh, that is upsetting. Yeah, I mean. Opened, opened up offshore oil leases. Right. Um even though the Deepwater Horizon happened during his presidency. Right. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, on and on and on. So anyway. Yeah. I, 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 that makes me think of a couple of things. One, first and foremost, is, is this idea of the in, infringement upon freedom that this kind of this the kind of actions you're talking about would entail i think there's mm-hmm. such a wide swath of the population that hears that kind of thing which is true and backed up by science but they just think but that's not freedom i'm not free if i can't do the things that i want and hey if it's legal then i should be able to do it and and it's 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 almost like it requires a rewiring of that kind of thinking because there's yeah. there's an obvious element of truth to to that it's not like the, those people are actually talking out of their asses but the, the the what is freedom worth if dot 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 i think is really where you are are coming from and that's the ultimate argument to make it's like all right yeah sure you can do whatever you want but what about what's coming and how free will we be then? And what will this freedom have been worth then? 
I am free in this country to poison myself mm-hmm. as long and as 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 painfully as I want. Mm-hmm. That's the freedom that that our capitalist system buys us. Right. If you can afford it, you can poison yourself and nobody can stop you. Mm-hmm. The downside of that is because you know opioids whatever you can you can get hooked you can buy a pill you can fall prey to somebody's scam and and you can ruin your life and that's really tragic and awful and shouldn't happen mm-hmm. but the real downside is the secondhand smoke right it turns the planet into a greenhouse and there's no vent we can't get this chemical stuff out of the air fast enough Mm -hmm. we keep putting it in the air for free right and we just can't get it out of the atmosphere there's too much of it now so a trillion trees is a great idea but who's planting the trillion trees nobody nobody yeah there's a couple groups who are trying to launch these campaigns but come on a billion trees takes a long time yeah uh to organize. So anyway, uh, this idea that we have this freedom and, you know, just like privileging my kids, I can privilege my kids a thousand different ways. If I can pay for it, they're going to pay for it. Every beer I have, they're going to pay for it. I can buy my buddies around, Mm -hmm. but my kids are going to pay for it. Right. So, I, I can't live with that. I refuse. I cannot stomach it. I cannot enjoy it. Right. Uh, I cannot, if it's a, a big fancy dinner, I can't swallow it. Right. It just physically doesn't work for me anymore to be uh, free in that way. And the day that I got arrested, <laughs> I felt freer mm. than I have felt in years. Mm. And my time behind bars was the most free. Uh, This is a weird, true thing. But Mm. um, when I gave up my electric car and got an electric bike, Mm -hmm. I felt freer. Yeah. When's the the last time you were on a bicycle? Too long, I got to say. So... Do you remember being on a bike? Oh, yeah. And what what it felt like? Yeah, yeah, totally. It wasn't bad. No. It was kind of pleasant. It was. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Yeah. I get that every day. Right. When I had a little home-built electric car, I I was grinning when I was driving it because it had no tailpipe, you know, and Uh it felt all cool. Right. But my body was falling apart. Right. (laughs) I was aging. Right. Now I look forward to getting on the electric bike every morning. I'm like, where can I go today? I got to go do something today. I got to get... I gotta get on the bicycle because it just feels good. Right. Yeah. You know? I yeah. Feel like, I feel like the dog, the dog waiting for a walk. You know. <laughs> I, yeah. I need I need an errand to run so I can get on my own. and that's the kind of freedom that I'm talking about. Right. Yeah. Nobody's gonna sell that to you. Yeah. There's not. There's no money in going from electric cars to electric bicycles. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, there, it's a heck of a lot less expensive. Right. Yeah. There's a weird, but, but no, nobody's selling that. There's a weird connection to this idea of freedom tied to some kind of 
purchasing ability almost, you know, and you're advocating this sort of actual freedom versus freedom by way of what we are allowed to procure with dollars or something like that. You know, I mean, this idea that freedom does not, freedom is not about all the things that you can get and whether it's legal or not to get them. You're talking about actual freedom in a much broader sense. Yeah. 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 What about freedom from your mortgage? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I have an idea for January 1, 2020, mm-hmm. that we have a mortgage strike. And this is the first time I'm announcing it publicly. But, okay. um The idea that um, on January 1, 2020, people stop paying their mortgages. For 89 days, the banks will tell you you've missed your payment, but right. they can't do anything. Right. On day 90, they can file a paper and begin a process. And that'll take them another month until 120 days to say this person should be evicted or whatever. Right. During that quarter, the first quarter 2020, when we will, come on, let's face it, be 20 years late yeah. to deal with an emergency, um, the biggest debt, the biggest asset most people have uh, will be on hold. Mm-hmm. And the banks in the financial sector will be on notice right. for 89 days. If people hear about that, because it makes a little news, mm-hmm. and more people join and take this uh, mortgage vacation, then during the course of 2020, maybe enough people, maybe enough homeowners would be willing to take a little credit hit on their credit report which, let's face it, is only a way to get a slightly better interest rate on whatever crap you're about to purchase. Yeah. Um, if they would take that little credit hit for 89-day late payment and enough people get involved, and at a certain point, maybe 3 million households holding off their payments, mm. then those 3 million people on day 90 could decide whether or not they're going to stop paying mortgages. Mm. Imagine what would happen if people stopped paying mortgages together. I yeah. What, wow. Yeah. That, that's what happened in 2008, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And in 2009, three million households were in some form of foreclosure. Right. And what did it do? Well, it reorganized everything. In this case, uh, it would mean that people could say, well, mortgages don't mean anything anymore. Mm. And we're not going to pay them. I'm going to occupy my house. Right. Now, what if you owned your house? Or if you're in an apartment, what if you stopped paying rent to the landlord? What if nobody paid rent to landlords anymore? I guess Can you imagine the kind of shakeup that would take place if people didn't have that in their budget each month? No. If suddenly, shelter, if suddenly shelter was free. Right, yeah. Yeah, also so, if everyone's doing it, then obviously there couldn't really be any actual recourse. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's actually – that kind of hits on something that – I think on an individual basis, I think people think, well, if everyone else doesn't have to do it, then why do I have to do it? You hear this a lot about, 
well, yeah, sure, if we cap our emissions in America, great, but that's not going to stop China and India and yada, 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 which is not not true, but that's not really a reason to not do something. You know, like just because other people are doing something shitty doesn't mean you should keep doing the shitty thing too. You know, I mean, that's like moral relativism, which is obviously not a way to operate in the world. Either something's wrong or it's not, you know, and, and to say, well, what about those guys is just kind of like a childish way to behave. So, I mean, I think what the kinds of things you're talking about, it, 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 the biggest obstacle almost is that it's like, well, okay, sure. I can do that. I might do that, but what about everybody else? And getting everybody Unless on the same everybody page. everybody else does it, I'm not going to do it. Yeah, exactly. The way people think. Yeah. And that's the dangerous way to think. Yeah. It, it's, a, it's a way that's been sold to us by Exxon and other corporations right, yeah. over decades. They've spent millions to convince us of certain lies, and that's one of the big ones. Mm. And they know that it works because they've focus group tested all these things. And yeah. find out which ones do work, and then they put them up on Fox News. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, this this idea is critical, and uh, getting a critical mass is a huge thing because we are social creatures. Mm-hmm. We are social creatures. We move like a school of fish. Yeah. Who, who's leading the school? There is no lead. You can't have a leader in a, in ten thousand fish. Right. It's the proximity to each other. Yeah. You know, when the birds go through their murmurations in the fields and you see those YouTube videos of these giant flocks of birds moving around, they look like some kind of ballet or, yeah. you know, weird natural screensaver. Yeah. And there's no leader. It's proximity. And yeah. when one bird moves a flap of the wing this way a little bit, it affects the birds next to them. Yeah. And in split seconds... They change direction. Right. You know, bees find a new hive. Within an hour, 10,000 bees can choose not only a new hive, but the best of a dozen different sites. Mm. And, and how are they doing that? Who's the leader? Yeah. It's about the enthusiasm of individual bees who have gone out and found these different places, and they've got the scent of that place on them, and the other bees... Are watching them dance around and give them directions and saying, come check out this new place. And then those bees go and check out the new place. And the bee that has the best smell and the bee that's been to this delicious place and the bee that um, is really excited about it, the way they're dancing around, right. more people follow those bees. More people follow those bees. Yeah. And so if we had a system like that, we could put an end to this crisis quickly yeah so quickly but we don't we have a system that operates on dollars and so the people with the dollars have the most enthusiastic dancers and they have the media and they have uh the political leadership and they write the laws yeah and they tell you what is legal and they tell you what you want with your life also also dollars that dollars are are to stick with the bees and birds metaphor it's this it's they dollars in a way even though they are not organic objects they lead they become the leader of the group in the way that they point the direction to which we all need to head you know i mean dollars advertising alone 
you know, puts things in people's faces and it makes them err on that side rather than the side that somebody is telling them about, you know, no matter how frantic someone can be about this is what's going to be happen to the environment. You go out in the world, you see everybody driving their car and you just think, well, how bad could it be? Also, it's easier to get in my car than it is to operate in another way. And I think the, the ease with which it, it's possible to keep up the status quo and participate in the status quo combined with everything that you're saying, it, it kind of creates this silo where, again, it comes back to this idea of like, well, if everyone else is living this way, me living this way as well can't be that bad. It's almost like this guilt alleviation, you know, the guilt that you're talking about not being able to live with. That's exactly what the guilt, that's exactly how the other people sort of get away from that. You know, it's almost like, well, look at everybody else. They can't be doing it that bad. They're operating in the world freely and happily. I can do it like that as well. And it sort of just comes down to ease and comfort, you know, uh, which I think is the uh, underneath all of this. You know, it, it requires people to change the way that they live. And it's, it's not just that people have a problem with change. The way that they perceive these changes is that it's going to make their life harder. And, and humans are hardwired to protect future generations, but they're also hardwired to not expend energy when they don't have to, their own energy, that is. Um, and I think that there's a real, like, conflict there. And again, it just gets down to, like, well, okay, how do you actually cut through that noise? Um, and then the politicization just takes it even further. You mentioned Fox News. You watch one minute of Fox News and it's like, oh, yeah, obviously climate change is a hoax. If you don't know any better and you're watching Fox News, you have every reason to believe that climate change is an actual hoax and bullshit, which is incredible to me that we're still here. We're a major news network has it on its platform, essentially, that something that's absolutely scientifically true and verifiable in a gazillion ways is not only questioned but called a lie. You know, it's it's literally a topsy turvy world, and and it's getting everyone on that same page. It just seems like the most daunting task. And I think it's possible, in my eyes at least. Sorry, but one more thought. In my eyes is, is that you, the kind of thing you did, which is actually turning off the oil. It it, it seems like the only thing that actually gets people's attention honestly uh we didn't get any real mainstream uh media coverage uh -huh. Uh -huh. until uh the new york times article came out which was the week after i went to prison mm. which was a year and a half after the action wow yeah wow so the media is a huge player in all of this and uh, what they consider news and what they don't yeah. uh, make, makes all the difference. You know, I've been out there on the street corner with the Fridays for Future kids who have been doing climate strikes from school for a year. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, a million and a half kids around the world participated one day in March. But those kids didn't know how to organize together. And find each other and stay connected. And so the following week, you know, there were like 20 kids. Mm. Um, and part of that was because the news media sold it as this one-day event. Mm. 
right? Not something that they were cu- cutting school every Friday because, let's face it, does it make sense to go to school when your future is burning? Does right. it make sense to learn facts that your political leaders are ignoring, which put you in peril? Uh, yeah, so they were cutting class to go and stand in front of City Hall or the Capitol, mm-hmm. and they're still doing it. And that's what Greta started a year ago. Um, you know, now she's up for a Nobel Peace Prize. Wow. On mainstream news, it's hard to find Greta. Yeah, that's you know, true. More news. She's getting more news coverage than any environmentalist on the planet, but it's hard to find her in mainstream news. Is that because it's so, it's seen as – I read an article, I think it was in The Atlantic, about there was that climate report that came out and was maybe like six months to a year ago that was just so uh, sobering. And it was this kind of yeah. – art. It was the article was actually about that it's so sobering that it's almost paralyzing. And I think that, yeah, I think that with the media thing, the media wants to give you headlines that make you click, right? And and it's going to make you, you're more likely to click on a story where, you know, someone killed their wife and buried them in in some faraway place and got caught for it than you are about climate change, even though they're both disaster stories. One is not going to affect you. And is out there with other people, and the other one. Not only does it, is it going to affect you, but you're implicated. In, if you read a story about climate change, you are implicated in that. And I think that that yes. drives the media's lack of interest in having stories about this because nobody wants nobody wants to be reminded that something's at least in part their fault. You know, it is not true that the planet is dying. It is true that you are murdering the planet. Right. And the media would much rather tell you that the planet is dying, number one, which does leave you feeling paralyzed yeah. and guilty. Right. But nobody said you're guilty. And then people can argue about whether individual action matters or whether you have to have whole countries. And if you have to have whole countries, well, then it's China and India. It's not the U.S., even though we polluted 25 percent of all greenhouse gas emissions and the last hundred years or so. Anyway, on and on and on. You can do all that and it becomes more distant and you do become paralyzed and you do become depressed and people change the channel. Yeah. Yeah. So nobody wants to report the climate news, which is, yes, it's dangerous. Yes, it's going to take out up to 95% of all species on the planet if we continue to act like it's not our fault or we can't do anything about it. Right. Yes, uh, you have to stop polluting right now, which means, yes, you probably need to stop earning money because the job you're doing making widgets or selling Uh airplane tickets is probably part of the problem. Right. And, yes, living with less money is going to be complicated, I don't believe it's actually that difficult. I'm living a pretty simple life, and it's pretty happy. Right. The the overwhelming uh, anxiety around climate disaster is always present, and I'm not going to blink. I'm not going to look away from that. But there's an incredible amount of joy in living a simple life where I don't have all the hassles that people are having trying to live in the American dream, right? which is basically just a consumer, hyper-consumer nightmare. 
Yeah, which it's is also isolating people, making them neurotic, yeah. making them unhappy. Increasingly, um, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. but nobody's really getting off on this. Yeah. Um, yeah, a handful of people maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think the unattainability keeps us on that hamster wheel. Do you know what I mean? It's like the yeah. impossibility of actually becoming happier by way of all these things actually keeps us seeking the things you know, and it's like, yeah. well, why don't we fucking step off the wheel? I mean, I'm not even pointing the finger because I'm I'm just as guilty of anyone else as being on the wheel. But I, I I'm still aware of the fact that there are you know alternatives and and the i and the idea that we are on this path. It is happening, and the only person that I can do anything about in terms of contribution is me and that's true of everyone you know i mean as you put it individual action is collective action i think that really is a powerful way to put it because it it speaks to not only our our personal ability to to sort of implement change but also you know our our um this I, this idea of responsibility, you know, each one of us yeah. is just as responsible as the next, you know, uh, yes. and and that adds this immediacy to it that that seems to frame it the right way for me. I know a lot about climate and I've known it for decades, and so I have a higher responsibility, I think, mm. than other people who have been told all kinds of things like climate's always changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's China. It's not us. Right. So, so there's that, but, um, but you're right. It's about that personal responsibility and collective action. So Matt, yes, it's, it's, uh, August, 2020, 2019. Mm-hmm. Will you cut your emissions 20% at least by August, 2020? I'm going to say yes, I will. We can talk in a you can we can talk in a year and uh, and you can hold me to it. But yeah, I'll say yes right now and do do that, and then we can talk in a year and uh, you can check me on that. Can I tell you a secret? Yes. Uh, Does that sound hard? Uh, I think I both feel like it sounds easier than I think it is, but also there's this awareness that it might actually be harder than I think it is. Um, but uttering it into the world is, is, is making, especially now that it's on an actual podcast, you know, I'm, I'm (laughs) I'm tied to it. Yeah. And that's a key. Yeah. So by doing what you just did, having a public accountability thing with me, right. You've actually made it a lot easier. Another thing that would make it easier Mm. is if I said, do it before the end of the year. Right. You can actually do it by the end of December pretty easily. If you wait until uh, July and then you realize, oh my gosh, I have to talk to Michael in a month and I didn't have <laughs> my emissions. Right. It's going to be really hard. Right, right, right. Right. But if you take care of it right now in a shorter, shorter time frame than a year, because a year from now doesn't seem that real. Right. But de- December's coming. December's you know? creeping up, and yeah. So- and guess what? Twenty-five percent of our emissions come at the last quarter. Huh? Uh, or actually, just the holidays. We we emit a huge amount of like emissions over the holidays. Thanksgiving and Christmas, yeah. Yeah, it's more than twenty-five percent, and um, but you can make a huge difference. 
between now and January 1, 2020. Yeah, and yeah. then maybe we can talk about the mortgage strike. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, yeah, I mean that that would honestly be totally incredible. I I I I I want to I want to talk to you a little bit about you mentioned the prosecutor framing you as this as an actual terrorist as a Unabomber or the, comparing you to nine yeah. eleven terrorist. That yeah. seems so off base to me however someone said it and someone said it in a court of law so yeah w- what w- i mean obviously you hear that and i can't even imagine how what that does to your brain but like what that mentality of lumping you in with people like that who let's face it the main if, if there's no other difference you're not hurting anyone and so this idea that I don't understand that connection and it's, I I understand why they'd certain interests would want to lump someone like you in with groups like that, but I don't understand how someone could actually think that. Um, And that seems like an, its own problem because if you know, you're an activist and to lump you in with a terrorist is sort of seems deeply irresponsible to me. And again, I get the motivation, you know, whether it's a prosecutor or someone that works at fucking Exxon, but I still don't get the justification of that, you know? Um, it's very simple to me. Mm. Uh, in fact, if anybody listening to this podcast held uh, similar kinds of views as the prosecutor who, let's face it, is paid by the state right. to represent the state of North Dakota, which is a petrol state, um, I'm attacking the American dream. I'm attacking the American oil way of life. Mm. I grew up in Houston. I understand that very well. Um, and so it's, it's fundamentally, uh, un-American to be anti-capitalism, anti-oil, um, anti-corporate rule is, is fundamentally attacking the American dream. Mm. However, I am the most patriotic person in the room. Yeah. Because I am trying to preserve, ridiculously trying to preserve our country. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the, the other side of the. Who is going to defend our land? Right. Who is going to defend from the oil spills? Who's going to defend from Canadian oil pipeline companies mm-hmm. that spill all over the place every day? Yeah. Who's going to defend our kids? Who's going to defend your mortgage, which is going to be literally underwater right. if you live in coastal cities? Yeah, yeah. You know, you're you're putting all your money into this nest egg, this home, and it's going to be worthless in 2050 when your mortgage is paid. Right. Um, I'm trying to defend that. Yeah. I'm trying to defend your community. You know, picket fences and all. Yeah. I'm trying to, to defend that stupid, stupid, you know, self destructive, suicidal, pathological American community. You know, that's that's what I'm trying to defend. And I think that, I think that it's, that it's telling that you, that, you know, the way you just framed that, which is that, you know, you attack the American dream, but you're also in a, in in just in just the same way almost being as american as possible right which is your you're sort of what what they're doing when they lump you in with people like that is that they're pull, it's like this sleight of hand 
trick where they're they're saying that you're yeah. attacking the American dream, but all you're doing is stopping big business, stopping the oil yeah. industry, and that keeping the keeping industry going is not the American dream. You know, individual freedom yeah. one could argue maybe is, but but that's it's it's bullshit to to, to lump you in with someone like that for for the simple reason that activism. And freedom to be an activist is is arguably the most American thing. But have you watched the Super Bowl? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Corporate America yeah. is American freedom. Yeah, I mean, right? yeah, they're tethered. They're definitely jet, attached to jet, the head. Jet fighters yeah. flying over the stadium, you know. Yeah. Uh, military hardware. This is American freedom. Yeah. Right. Boeing is also the number two defense contractor right. in our country. Uh, yeah, that's American freedom. Right. So American freedom is corporate fossil fuel overlords right. selling you trillions of dollars worth of stuff that is cutting down your own family tree. Right. Yeah. I mean, that that is certainly what it's become you know i just think that there's a sleight of hand there where it's not true that that's what it's always been and that's what it should be and that's even what it really is you know it's it's almost so that idea is almost sold to us the same as you know a fucking ticket to hawaii you know it's it's this it's this trick that we're that we're that we're led to by the nose to buy into you know, so and what is it that we really need to have an American dream? What is the new American dream? I think it's about food and water. Shelter is nice. Yeah. Clothing is, is optional. Right. But nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who needs, I think, I, uh, yeah, I think that if we spent our days only trying to do that, mm-hmm. only trying to take care of our food needs for the day. Mm-hmm our clean water needs for the day, our simple shelter needs for the day and sharing shelter, uh, and, and basic clothing needs, basic, mm-hmm. then I think uh, life would be a lot richer. We would have a lot more time to spend with our kids mm-hmm. and our families and neighbors. Um, I This is silly, but it's August, and I am surrounded by invasive blackberries <laughs> on, on all the bike routes around town. So mm. I just stop and I, I, I just eat blackberries off yeah. the vine. Yeah. And it's like, wow, I can't imagine. Right. You know, the people who are working on community gardens around here, yeah. free food forests, um, cities being able to feed themselves so that, you know, number one, if we have a mortgage strike, you don't have to screw around with that mortgage thing anymore. We figure out some other actual real market for how you're going to have a, a house, a room, whatever. Right. Not a, not a financial market that's controlled by a handful of giant banks selling yeah. these bundles of mortgages. And then, uh, and then food, if people knew they could put food on the table without poisoning their kids or yeah. stealing their kids' future, Oh my God! Yeah. How 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 dedicated, how devoted to these cubicles mm. would people be if they knew that they had food and shelter? Yeah. Taken care of. 
Yeah, I mean... How many widgets would we have to sell? <laughs> How much more plastic would we have to pump into the ocean? Yeah. If we knew that we could, you know, feed our kids tonight and had a warm, dry, safe place to be. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. Uh, it's it's uh, It requires such a... Um... It's like you need to shake people out of this state almost uh, to, to, to wake them up to it. And that is obviously what you're doing. My question for you is really because you're on the ground with this so, so much and it's, you know, the issue of all issues that you're championing. What is your, I, I mean, I have a guess, but if in your own words, what, what, how optimistic or pessimistic are you that, that, that I guess, that it's not whether you know, I know you're not a, a, a fortune teller. What's gonna happen? But what what do you think is going to happen here as we move forward and climate change bears down on us? We have no choice but to see it, and and by then we're also realizing, oh, it is too late. Do you think that there's any hope of? Do you think there's any hope of the things that you're that you say are required? Do you think that that's possible? Do you think that's gonna that could happen, might happen, will happen, won't happen? What do you think? There is absolutely no reason to hope. Mm. Period. The end. Mm. There is no reason to hope. Mm. It is too late. It has been too late. We really were supposed to, were expected to reduce pollution starting back in the 1998, you know, El mm. Nino. Right. Uh, scientific predictions actually had people's or global global emissions declining after 2000 because back in the 1980s they realized the effects would be observable. Mm. And so around the turn of the century, they predicted that, you know, humanity would start cleaning up its act. Um, it is too late mm -hmm. and there is no hope. And we have seen the, uh, the observed effects, you know, Katrina was a huge wake up call, Yeah. but we've seen them every year since then. We've yeah. seen hundreds of billions of dollars worth of damage yeah. and lives ruined. Some of those places are not recovering, and yet we still have people saying it's a hoax. So there's no reason to hope right. that um, the oil company, the media uh, talking points are going to stop working whatever they want us to believe to keep us from actually stepping out of their system. Yeah. We'll believe it whatever doubt they need to plant to just keep you from taking the actions that are actually going to reduce your emissions. That's all that matters. If right. you say climate change is real and it's an emergency and we have to do something and let's all get behind Bernie, mm -hmm. the oil company's okay with that. Mm. They're okay with that. I mean, they'll spend a few million on some other candidate sure, or whatever, yeah. and they'll buy it, and they'll buy Congress so that Bernie can't do anything. Right. But they're okay with that because you're going to keep going to work in your gas guzzler. Right. So if you step out of that system, and in moments when you do, not just turning off the Keystone One pipeline, woo -hoo, <laughs> but um, but in moments like when you decide, okay, I'm giving up the car for an electric bike. Right. Um, then you feel different. Right. And that's not hope. That's real change. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you, when yeah. you cut your emissions 20% over the next few months, Matt, 
you're going to feel different. Right. And it's not hope. Right. It's not hope. Hope has nothing to do with it. I feel depressed. I feel despair. I feel suicidal at times. Mm. And and think, you know, the only way for this thing to end well is if humans all start killing ourselves because we can't live with the consequences of being here mm. and consuming, hyper-consuming on this planet. Um, and that's only true for about a billion of us. Right. About a billion of us are hyper-consuming and making life impossible for all other species. Ah. I don't think I knew that so, statistic. Yeah. That makes so, sense, though. Yeah. yeah. So. If you, yeah, if you just get rid of like the top 10% right. uh, of hyper consumers on the planet, you know, if we all just killed ourselves or took opioids until we died or whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, things would be way better off. That's half the, half the problem, half the pollution is gone Wow. if you deal with that. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. But, but that's not about, that's not a, that's not a choice I can make. Right. I can't choose for half the population or even a tenth of the population to change their ways. Right. I can do things and I can think, who do I influence? How can I influence them? And since I started thinking that way Mm -hmm. and doing what I can, people know who I am. Right. I have more influence. I walk my talk and people say, yeah, I gotta, I gotta do that. I gotta stop whatever I got to start doing the thing. Yeah. And they do. And it's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's... So we have real influence in that school of fish mm. and we have to use it. And as soon as we use it, we start seeing results. When we're not using it, we start to feel despair. Yeah. Yeah. God, that's so true. I mean, that's true down top to bottom across the board. I mean, that's really that's a really powerful thing to say and it's, it really rings true. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, all right, man. Well, is there anything else before we go? I mean, we're coming up on over an hour here. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Um, anything you want to share with the audience, anything? Uh, the mortgage strike is a real thing. Mm. It sounds like, uh, some kind of weird, uh, science fiction plot or something, you know, (laughs) but it's actually a real thing. Um, if enough, if a handful of people put this out there and it becomes a thing that people say, we can do this, let's do this. I'm doing this. Right. Then it becomes a thing. And if it grows big enough, mortgages end. Right. I don't know what replaces them. Right, right, right. Yeah. I've, I've worked out a couple of scenarios of what's likely, what's possible, what the government and the banks might try to do in response. Mm-hmm. But the key is that they would be at our mercy. Right. People who lived through the 2008 meltdown understand what that was like and how horrible it was. But we remained at the mercy of Wall Street and the government. Right. This would be the opposite of that. Yeah. Because con- consumers, homeowners, landlords, you know, would suddenly be the ones who decided, are we going to do mortgages anymore? Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what are we going to do instead? Right. How are we going to buy and sell and move and trade our houses and our properties? How are we going to do this? Yeah. We're going to do it our way. Yeah. Because we own them now. 
Right. We live in them. We inhabit them. And you're going to have to kick us all out. Yeah. Uh, and that's not going to happen. Right. Mass squat. Yeah. Also, let's face it. Who doesn't want to? Who doesn't want to not pay their mortgage for three months? I think that's universally Bingo. true for everyone. So there's there's like a naturally there's like a natural silver lining perk there, which is you're not just participating in something that might actually change and save the world. You're you're also not paying your mortgage, which again everyone wants to do every month anyway. So I actually think this is something, what you're talking about now is something that people can actually get behind because they're saying, oh, I can save money that way. Great. Then it's like, well, let's convince everybody else to do it. So this might be the one that actually comes through. I'm happy to, I'm happy you're announcing it here. Yeah. It's a really scary idea in terms of uh, financial markets and uh, would corporations start laying off people on and on? You know, right. all those ripple effects right. that we don't have control of are right. really scary, scary, scary. Yeah. And you know, if you go door to door and tell your neighbors, "Hey, would you like to join us? We're we're not paying our mortgage for the next three months." Right. Um, they're going to say, "What are you crazy? <laughs> what are you trying to drive down property values?" And you can say, "No, but um, if this works." You know, three months from now, you're not going to have to pay your mortgage anymore. Enticing. That is very enticing to people. I, I, I don't think I'm going out on a limb and saying that. Yeah. So um, anyway, it's uh, over 30% of our economy is now financial products. Over 30% of our economy is, finan- is now financial products. Is that what you said? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Wow. Which is insane. Yeah. And it's no wonder that we can't figure out how to rewire this thing. Right. Yeah. Um, So a mortgage strike would be a real thing, not a made-up thing. And it would change our our culture in profound ways. And the way we think about what has value and why things have value and what we really want from our lives and how we want to go to work and what we want to work for. Right. Um, also, Greta is landing on on the East Coast by boat. My gosh, uh, her trip is amazing, but um, her commitment to not flying and being at these UN climate talks where she's going to be the most honored guest mm. in the world. Um, it's pretty inspiring. Please take a no-fly pledge or fly only when you absolutely have to mm. in an emergency uh, it does make a huge difference. It's as it's almost as big as uh, not having a car for a year. Wow! That is taking one less transatlantic flight is almost as much as not driving a car for a year. Holy shit! Really? Um, it's easy to wow. not take a trip. Wow! 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 That is fucking yeah. nuts! Holy shit! I did. It's, wow. You know, if you if you do, if you travel a lot, if you don't take two or three trips this year, you've cut your emissions in a huge way. Wow! Yeah. Um, so those those kinds of things. Look at what are the biggies. Um, the fact that that not having another kid is the single greatest it thing is. an individual can do. I've seen those numbers. Really, yeah. Is is really tragic. Yeah. Totally. Right. Yeah. Let's think about that for a second. We as a species have reached a point in the developed world, in civilized society, 
where the worst possible thing anybody can do times 10. It's so, it's not even close. Yeah. Yeah. Have a human child. I know it's fucking nuts. That should tell us something. Yeah. So let's look at that. Let's not just put that aside, but let's say, okay, so what is it about a human child in America that I gotta, I gotta stop being that, that huge friggin' footprint. Right. And I got to expect that of my leaders. I got to expect them to deal with this as an emergency. If we were living in China, it would be different. China can say today is electric bicycle day. Right. Only electric bicycles will be allowed on the streets today. Right. China can do that shit. Right, 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 right. <laughs> right. In the U.S., that would be, you know, time be, to call out the National Guard. Yeah, it'd be uh, Civil War. You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is where, you know, maybe this is headed. Maybe we end up with some kind of military dictatorship so that we can survive. Right. Because our freedom, our freedom to pollute ourselves is sacrosanct. And nobody is willing to be told that they should have to stop poisoning their children. Yeah. I mean, talk about a sobering so, thought, but yeah, it totally makes sense. And it totally seems possible to me. Yeah. 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 So let's let's be reasonable. Let's let's choose life. Let's uh, rebel for life. Extinction Rebellion has a week of strikes and actions coming up uh, at the end of September, September 20th to 27th. And it's going to be kicked off by students striking from school who are asking grownups to strike from work Mm. and just let the planet catch its breath for a day or a, a week. And think about how to reorganize ourselves, our lives, our governments, our corporations. Yeah. And also the 20% thing. I'm doing it. Whoever's listening, you do it too. Uh, We'll check back in with Michael in a year and give him a progress report. And let's do it. And the the Amazon is burning right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A uh, trillion trees is just a start. A trillion trees is only 150 trees per person on Earth. Yeah. So do 150 trees this year and do 150 trees next year. Yeah. And every year. Right? Yeah. So, okay. Thanks. Thanks for the interview. It's great yeah. talking with you, Matt. I mean, thank you so much for your time, uh, your energy, and your voice on these matters is so, so, so important. And the, keep up the good the work. Only, The only antidote to despair is action.